Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm Ian Carlos Crawford. I'm Matthew Rodriguez. And today we are joined once again by Ryan Houlihan. Hello, everybody. Yay. Yes. Um, today is going to be our season two recap episode. Um, yeah. Season two um, is a lot. It's so extra. But um, I think it's actually probably one of the, it's Buffy's probably best emotional arc for a season. Some of the other ones have better big bads, better plots, better higher stakes in a way. But um, this is like Buffy's peak, like WBCW emotional Dawson's Creek kind of plot line. I feel like this season is the quintessential season of Buffy. What, what, but, but by which I mean, like, maybe not the best, maybe not the most exciting, maybe not the one that the, the cast would use in their acting rounds. <laughs> but I will say, if you were to make a Buffy cartoon, you said it in season two. If yeah. you wanted to explain the, like, series statement of Buffy, or at least the original statement when they started, season one was all set up for the commentary on all of that that was season two. Yeah. And I think, like, a lot of comparisons are made between this season and season three, and season three has some high highs, but the consistency of season two, emotionally, like like you said, character development, it's a masterwork. Like, it is... So there's a lot of good character work happening. I actually think the quintessential season of Buffy is season three, but... Um, <laughs> okay. We'll I'm fight. Actually, we'll fight, because <laughs> I actually think that they're better at doing at doing high school metaphors and talking about like what it means to be in high school in season three because season two is so busy telling a story about relationships and like when your yeah. boyfriend goes crazy after he nuts in you. So <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. we'll talk about Buffy later. I was gonna say like that's a high school metaphor. What are we talking about? <laughs> but um so I I I think that the season three is quintessential. Mm-hmm. Um but I think that season two, yeah, is, like, the one that's the most, like, the I most mean... most Buffy, Buffy. It's the most, yeah, like, Lilith yeah. Fair, like, music playing, like, you know. Yeah, and I will... Two and three have great concept episodes where, like, Halloween's one of my favorite. Right. Like, oh my god, what a, what a masterpiece. But the production value and the just sheer characters so rounded out that you can play with them stuff of something like Doppelgangled, which is another, like, high concept episode... And I love that episode. It's amazing because they had they had they could do all the special effects. It, with well, yeah. with Halloween, it was like, well, we've got to make Willow be able to walk through things. So Buffy's <laughs> just got to be an 18th century girl. Like, we don't, we're not turning her into like a demi gorgon. <laughs> yeah. Well, they they actually yeah they got a lot more budget in season three. Like I feel like the network was like fully invested by that point. Yeah. I think Two se- looks good though. Yeah. No. Two looks good. But season three is where they also like found they like hired a lighting crew. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's more well lit. There's better. Like even in um what like the 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 domestic violence beauty and the beast episode when he changes yeah. over in season three like they actually show the transformation and they don't have to do it like off screen and he like it looks pretty CGI'd well or whatever. Um, so season two. So where do we start with everyone? Let's like go through kind of like who, where the characters are in terms of like chess pieces. Like Buffy, we have just coming back. So she. Buffy's sparkly with new life for well, the first time. <laughs> well, Buffy is coming. Starts out the season with all the trauma because she killed yes. the master at the end of season one, and she, comes, she was and killed. the master killed her. And, oh, sorry, and, and also like yeah, she was dead. Um, she died and comes back. Um, with and she haircut. right, and then she does the iconic Xander dance and like booty grinds on him mm-hmm. to cheap Amato and smashes and, the bones, which is my and she's gift very yeah, she's very Order of the <laughs> Phoenix. Um, and uh, where else do we go from there? 
Um, and then she starts, I guess, seeing Angel more regularly. But as we've, like, pointed out, it's really weird how, like... I mean, even though it still works in Becoming, like, Becoming totally works and, like, the payoff is there and the emotional impact is there, They, it's really weird that they don't spend that much time dating. Like, it you feels like it should have been either the entire season they're dating or, like, they started dating in season one. Yeah. Because, like... Right? Well, I think they also, they had a problem on their hands, which was all this tension of them getting together. And it's like Ross and Rachel, they get together and it's like, we don't have a ton going on now. <laughs> and so they have to rip them apart, like, pretty yeah. quickly. And then they get to do the tension of, well, they get back together thing again. And I, I, you get a lot of that on TV shows, but it's weird because Buffy and Angel, in my mind, as a couple, like, that was, like, a long term. Right, like, yeah. that was more of a Monica and Chandler thing than it was a Ross and Rachel thing, for some reason in my mind. Even though that's not true. Yeah. She's probably with Riley for longer as, like, a normal... <laughs> right. God, normal, that's like, probably like, true. Like, we are dating, because in season three, they're not dating either. They just, like, yeah. do yoga and tai chi together. <laughs> they're like, oh, we broke up, but we're still friends. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, if I was dating someone and I was like, yo, Ian and Ryan, like, I'm not dating this guy, but I go to his house to do sexy tai chi every day, <laughs> and I don't tell anyone about it, you'd be like, oh, so you're, you're getting secret D. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this, for me, this season... I kind of agree with Ryan because I feel like this season is, like, iconic. Like, that plot line, I feel like, is the Buffy plot line that everyone would know. Right. Yeah. That is iconic. Like, I feel like that's the, like, people who don't know Buffy are like, oh, yeah, like, that. Like, that's the plot they would think of, right? Like, And also, like, he's the big bad, Spike and Drusilla being big bads. I mean, not only is it vampires are the big bad, which I like for Buffy... Also, the mayor and Faith are much stronger big beds. They have a lot yes. to say. But they're a meta commentary on Buffy and Giles. And they're where, like, darkness starts to slip into Buffy. Right now, we're in a purity space where, like, the friends are friends. The humans are humans for the <laughs> most part. And, like, and like everything, all the, like you said, all the chess pieces are still kind of at the back of the board. It's right. when you're in seasons, like, five or season seven where you're, like, I don't know. Like, you look at the board, you're like, I, there's a million ways you could have gotten into this mess. But right, right now, we can see where the moves were and where they're going, which is a nice place to be in in a well, show. Well, it's called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and for now, she's still slaying vampires. Yeah. <laughs> By the time we get to season six, it's kind of like a meta, like, oh, is there a chessboard? And then <laughs> Buffy season... the Monster Killer, also emotions. <laughs> right. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then... So, and yeah, like, it gets progressively like, oh, she's fighting demon cyborgs or she's fighting a literal goddess yeah um and so, then by that part like by a vampire slang is like we put one in an episode kind of yeah. like vanderpump rules you occasionally see the restaurant but you're not really spending any time there <laughs> right it's like she goes out slaying vampires it's like oh by the way i also fight gods on my in my <laughs> yeah. spare time and my sister is an interdimensional energy key like yeah, most of my time is spent in alternate dimensional <laughs> But... <laughs> like, vampires would be the very bottom of her resume at that point. Like, yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't be like, hi, I'm Buffy the Vampire Slayer. People would be like, just like Glory was, a vampire slayer? Oh, cool. You have to be like, hi, I'm Buffy the God Killer. Yeah, like... <laughs> that's, that's way bigger deal. Um, so, okay, so Buffy starts out with the trauma, and then um, we see... Which, when is the, which is the episode where Willow yells at Angel because he won't take her for a cup of coffee? I think it's school hard. Is it? No, it's the one where she also yells at Giles because he's like running her too hard. School Hard's episode three of the season. Oh, too early. Um, but it it, it might be Ted or Bad Eggs actually because I remember talking about it on that podcast. 
Anyway, I don't think it's... It's definitely not Ted. <laughs> anyway. I'm here to do... Early on. in the... So... Keep going. I'll They have it. Halloween as, like, you know, it's very schoolgirl crush because, like, they're holed up in a bathroom looking at an, uh, a picture of an 18th century woman. <laughs> and, like, you know, Buffy really wants Angel to go for her. And then Angel does, you know, eventually go for her. And, um... Yeah, I guess one of the things that's missing for me in the Buffy-Angel relationship is the, like, do they ever, like, share a secret with each other? I mean, I know she shares with him that she's a vampire slayer, like, big whoop, she hasn't told people. (laughs) Everyone knows. The whole school gives her an award. Exactly. So, um, (laughs) like, her mom's the only one on the outs until the end of season two. But, uh, like, I would have wanted, I guess where I'm looking for emotional richness is, like, is there, like, a deep, dark secret about herself that she, like, confessed him? Like, that's what I look for when I look for, like, emotional richness in a relationship. Like, where have they... I feel like they help each other in the fighting, but I haven't... I guess what I was missing from their relationship, and I would have wanted to see the writers address this, is, like, where's the emotional support that they had? I think what we're dealing with right here is first crush stuff. Yes. Which can grow and does for them, but, and, like, later they're able to relate to each other as adults on Angel and stuff like that. But we're dealing with, like... Have you ever heard that Tove Lo song, Talkin' Body? Yeah. It's like that. It's like, we're both so hot. We've got superpowers. <laughs> we're not supposed to be together. We keep ending up together and like, oh, bloody. And like, and how, if you're a teenager, you're going to fuck that thing that, it could be a couch. You would fuck it. And so I think we're in that space. And I think it they tricked us into thinking this was a big, important relationship that was emotionally, like in the moment. But looking back, they also did a pretty effective job of leaving space for other people to do other things for her. Because if he had all of that, we would spend every time being like, but she she had everything. He needs to not be the complete package, which he isn't. Not only is he, like, bad for her like most high school boyfriends are, he truly isn't. Like, you need to be 25 and realize that, like, you know, you have to like each other in the, like, days where you're just making coffee and talking about TV. Like, I don't think Buffy and Angel could ever talk about... 90210 together. Like, how weird is that? Your boyfriend like, doesn't... Like, they have gone to see Titanic and have been like, oh, wow. Um, <laughs> every time they... really, you know... Every time they do, he's like, I remember seeing the first moving picture. He's stuff like that, which is like, it's right. interesting, but can you build a life on that? And it's Reptile Boy, where they argue about a cup of coffee. Uh, right. right. <laughs> um, so, so that's like, I think, episode five. Reptile um, Boy. Right before Halloween. Um... Reptile Boy's great, by the way. <laughs> Reptile Boy is good. Um, so, yeah, I, I... but So I think you're actually right, and you're hitting on something that a lot of people don't talk about with Buffy, is that I think we are duped into thinking, like, Angel is Buffy's one true love, when really we should be looking at this as, like, this is just Buffy's first guy in a string of guys, and when something is your first, like, you just blow it out of proportion. Yeah. Like, you always remember your first crush, even though you were, or your first boyfriend, even though you were with him for, like, three days. And it's all based on, like, he was sweaty and I saw him in the sun. Like, and that was it. Like, pheromones. Like, it's not real. And so, looking back on it, it's, we should be thinking of Angel as just, like, Buffy's first, but that doesn't mean he's Buffy's he's Buffy's greatest love or anything like that. Also, I think a lot of people watch this show through the lens of Buffy as defined by the men in her life, which yeah. I don't think yeah. is the statement of the show, or right. should it be? This is a show that, though its feminism is of its time, its feminism of its time included the statement of like Buffy is Buffy. The end of this season, she goes what he goes what's left. 
me. Like, yeah. fuck, boom, that is what this is about. Angel is an accessory. Angel is like, you get the Buffy thing, and if we're, if you want to, like, you get the Buffy doll, and if you want another doll, you could get Ken, or Angel, or her friend Skipper. He's just <laughs> right. another thing. I'd rather get a Willow doll. Yeah, you know, like, who wouldn't? Right, and so, and, and Ian and I have talked about this on the podcast a lot, like, the least interest, so when people are like Angel or Spike or whatever, it reminds me of like when my mom asked me like, when are you going to get a boyfriend? I'm like, mom, I am getting bylines on the internet every day. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. there are much more interesting things about me than like who I'm fucking. And when someone asks that question about Buffy, I'm always like, you're reducing Buffy to, it's when people think of it as only like a teen paranormal romance. Like yeah. it's fucking Twilight. Like it is so, as well. <laughs> right. And it's so many other fucking things. So like, that's such an irrelevant question. Well, it's like when, um, Georgia Holt said to Cher, when will you settle down and marry a rich man? And she said, Mama, I am a rich man. (laughs) (laughs) When you first started that, I was like, I don't remember the scene from Clueless. Oh, no, actual Cher. (laughs) Actual Cher. Actual Cherilyn. Yeah. (laughs) Not Selena Gomez, Selena. (laughs) Um, Okay. Uh, It's really interesting to talk about Willow's growth over this season. Yeah. Because Willow really is coming out of being, like, a one-note character in season one, who's just, like, the nerd friend who Buffy and her, like, talk about boys or whatever. I'm not used to this stuff. Yeah. (laughs) But she's not, she's not super fleshed out, but over the growth of, over the second season, I mean, she gets her first boyfriend, her and Xander do kind of suss out that she, they're not going to be together for the time being. Mm -hmm. Um, She starts learning witchcraft. She starts teaching a class in high school. The government shows up or like some software company actually shows up and says, you're a prodigy. You're going to change the world. <laughs> right. And she starts teaching computer class. To students. To stu- to other students. Also, that's a thing they kind of drop with Oz. Because yeah. it's her and Oz. Right. And then they never really address... Well, what I do like is that with the Willow thing, it's like if... If we're doing Russian nesting doll and Willow is an accessory to, like, the Buffy story, which I don't know if that's totally true, but let's go with that theory. Oz is treated like his werewolf thing could have been teased out all season, but then Oz would have gotten the attention for his character growth and it wouldn't have been Willow's story. So by making that one episode, it's part of what it's, it is a catalyst to change Willow as opposed to usually in those stories, the things that happen to, with women are to change a man. Do you know what I mean? Like, usually, yeah. like, something happens with a woman, it's in one episode, and it, like, changes that man's point of view for the rest of the story. And in this, it was the opposite. Something horrible and traumatic is happening to us. Something, like, life-defining. That could be a season-long story. You know, that's such a good point. I feel like we always talk about, like, what if we were to remake Buffy 2017 as, like, 10-episode... Like, all the seasons were, like, 10-episode HBO seasons. Mm-hmm. And what we would do... I think that the second season would have, like... I think that they would actually it would be a Willow-Buffy dichotomy where you have one person is dating this person who, like, changes and is very clearly evil, and, like, and then one one person who changes because they were, like, bit by a werewolf and they can't help that change. Yeah. And, like, so, because Oz is, like, just bit by his cousin, and he's such a purely good person, and he, like, just kills people and can't help it. he has it. no control. It's he's not like he's like, well, I'll bang you and then we'll see what happens. Yeah. Right. And Angel then, knew what he was doing. <laughs> right. Like, Angel knew, the, knew his curse and stuff like that. So there is a really interesting dichotomy. So I can imagine if they kind of just, like, stopped meandering and, like, made one or two episodes that were at the be- all the beginning of season two or something. Because, you know, on HBO shows, there can be, like, so much plot in, in like, two episodes. Um... And then just got... I saw the first two seasons of True Blood. Right. And then... <laughs> oh, and, God. Oh, God. That's not the show to even And then um, just went to, like, a season-long rumination on, like, 
your men and like what it means to be to like date a bad guy as your first guy or a good guy who like can't help it and stuff like that there's so many parallels you could have written out over the season yeah yeah that's interesting i didn't think about them as parallels but i did think about willow and buffy's growth as parallels because buffy everything's externalized for her everything for her it's like i learned how to you know care for my friends by like lifting a building off of them. Whereas with Willow, it's so internalized. You get these little moments and these little changes that change the choices she makes later, but you have to be watching for it. And for that, it's more rewarding. Sometimes she does stuff where like, suddenly she'll just punch a vampire. She wouldn't have done that. But something that happened a couple episodes ago made Willow a little bit more like active. And that's cool. And like, it's different than Buffy. Well, some of this whole season, some of Willow's best moments as are supporting her friends and supporting Buffy through like standing up to Giles and Angel or standing up to everyone and just being like you are writing Buffy too hard like Buffy can't like you have to grow up put on your big boy pants and not have Buffy do everything for you because Buffy is not the person to ever say like oh I can't right and then by the end Willow is barking orders like in Becoming Part 2 she's like this is my resolve face we're gonna do this spell Buffy needs our help everyone get your shit together like she circles the wagons yeah so you go from season one I mean from like episode one of the season where she's not fully formed out to like when Buffy's like it's almost like in the X-Men, like, when Cyclops is gone, Storm is second in command. Like, she... It's very clear that Willow is second in command yeah. by the end of the season, and there's, like, no, um, like, question about that. But what bothers me... Or not what bothers me, but something that would bug me at the time, but now I see that they were building up so that we could later play with that, was that still nobody has any confidence in Willow. And she does her fucking spell. She does, She true, gets yeah. the job done despite everything. <laughs> and she always does. And Buffy still was like, I'm not sure this is going to happen. And then she goes she goes to poke him with her little stick and realizes, oh, I was, oh, here he is. Oops. <laughs> and that's kind of, I don't know. It well, gives you something to work with later, but it's infuriating because you're like, poor Willow. Buffy always kind of does that with everyone, I feel like, right? Like, yeah. she kind of, I feel like except for Giles because he's like the father figure and she always looks at him as like, I don't think we ever, until the final season but it's kind of like very smooshed in there at the end when like you realize your parents can be flawed humans and are just like humans stumbling about doing shit like with Giles she doesn't get that realization until like season 7 um but yeah with like Willow it's like because Giles she always believes him but with like Willow and everyone else it's always like no I have to do it you can't do the thing I have to do the thing and like well I don't know if I feel like it's really weird because Buffy's like that but then when it comes to like her big plans to defeat like Willow. I mean, to defeat Willow. To well, to defeat Glory. Glory or Adam. She'll always be like, "I need you guys, Xander. You're my key." And yeah. I'm like, "What?" Like, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it is kind of an abusive <laughs> circle of friends to be like, "I get all the attention. Everything's about me. Everything's about me." Guys, <gasps> it really needs some fevers. <laughs> it's tough stuff. Like, guys, stay out of it. Stay out of it. Stay out of it. Ooh, I really like need you, Cordelia. You're such a bitch. Oh God, she's so. Uh, uh, Here's a crossbow. I need you to kill some vampires while I go get this snake. Like, come right. on. Um, so I think it's interesting. So Willow, a lot of her support and all of her growth season happens when Buffy's not in the room. She's always, she's like sticking up for Buffy and yeah. stuff like that in her absence. Uh, and, and yeah, I think it's interesting. So we'll just talk about Xander for like two seconds. Like, does he grow at all? No. Like, <laughs> he's a monster. He continues to be a monster. Xander, in today in Xander, he is still a monster. <laughs> That fucking episode where he casts a spell so all the women like him, you need to ignore, to enjoy that episode, you need to ignore what caused him to do that, what the metaphor of the thing was, all the imagery. In order to, like, get the little jokes, it's tough. His character is 
tough in 2017 to watch. <laughs> it's really bad. It's like watching Chandler yeah, in 2017. Is. Well, it's funny because even when we had Kim oh, on for um, Bad Eggs, she was like, there's like a really, and I hadn't even like, it was like a throwaway line when Cordelia's um, under the control of like the little monster thing. He says something like, oh, I only half hate doing this and like punches her and knocks her out. Granted, he has to because she's under control, but, like, says, yeah, like, why would you... makes, like, a weird comment, and it's, like, that's your That point. you, like, like punching your girlfriend in the face, and then, like, yeah. It's yeah. like when you're with those couples, and they're, they're like, oh, we love to bicker, and it's, like, they think they're doing an endearing thing, but what they're actually doing is taking their bad behavior that they don't know how to change <laughs> and trying to make it cute so that they don't have to, they can ignore it. But those people will never end up being happy or healthy. <laughs> he does the same stuff with Anya, where he's, like, you're so annoying, you're so annoying all the time, and it's, like... Then why are you dating her? Like, could you have respect for her as, like, a newly minted human being? <laughs> so it's actually funny. When you think about who is growing in season two, Xander actually doesn't show any growth yet. I think that he makes a lot of mistakes, but he doesn't really show that he's grown from them. I actually think when we when we do a season three recap, we can talk about the ways that Xander has grown yes, in season three. Even though think. he's a terrible person yeah. and remains a monster, but, like, season three, he actually does grow up a lot. Yes, I would agree with and that. Then, he goes through a lot in season three. Yeah, but see, for season two, it's kind of... Because there's, they were still... I mean, he's still just, like, doe-eyed over Buffy and stuff like that. Like, he doesn't really... And he kind of plopped into season one more fully formed than Willow did. So they had a lot of slack to pick up with Willow. That's true. So they kind of put Xander on a back burner. I mean, they have him dating Cordelia and just, like, keeping a secret. But, of course, he's trashed by this whole relationship and he doesn't deserve perfection. That is Cordelia Chase. (laughs) So let's talk about Cordelia. Wow. Where do you begin? She went from being... I mean, season one, I liked Cordelia, but she was a one-note joke throughout. And there was no reason for her to be in the library all the time. But by season two, they took that one-note like joke thing and they were like, Cordelia is like this because of the world around her and fuck you and Cordelia will survive and Cordelia is a boss bitch who does care about other people. She just doesn't care about your, like, bullshit. And, like, (laughs) she just... And she grows into a, a real person. And... It's awesome because not only does it allow for her to later go on to Angel and all this other stuff, it also shows that, like, Buffy is the central figure in so many of these people's lives. You know how you feel like the main character in your life, or you should, I think? Yeah. I think in a Buffy's world, a lot of their friends are like, well, Buffy's the chosen one. Buffy's the main character. Cordelia's one of the only people who's like, bitch, I'm the chosen one because I purchased it. <laughs> like, right. she's the one who's like, chosen? All right, fine. I'll fucking go out there. Kill Chosen, take Chosen's thing, make a wig out of it, and go to prom and be the prom queen. Fuck you. Right. Like, it's awesome. And they have that amazing, they have just, like, amazing moments where, um, I don't know, where Cordelia doesn't, like, bend, in the way that Buffy doesn't listen to her friends sometimes, or respects Giles, she doesn't, I also think she kind of respects Cordelia's not going to listen to her, which is a fun thing to throw in the mix. Like, without that, everyone would just do what Buffy said most of the time. Yeah, that's true. And, like... You know, like, there's, like, in Reptile Boy at the very end, when she's, like, when they've saved Cordelia, and she's like, I hate you guys. Because <laughs> she's just like, all this terrible shit happens. Like, this sucks. And she's, like, grateful for being saved, but, like, also is just like, I hate hanging out with you people. Uh, well, you know, and I, I think it's just that, like, Cordelia's relationship with the group just changes so much over this season. Yeah. And because in the, in the beginning of season two, in that first episode, she comes back from summer, and she's like, when are we going to slay some more demons? Because at the end of In Prophecy Girl, she really, like, was there for them. Yeah. She drove, the I think it was Miss Calendar at the end. Yeah. Just, like, she was, like, she wanted to be helpful. And then there's so many times throughout season two where Cordelia actually acts as a rock for them. Like, 
Yeah. Buffy's in the hospital. She's there. She's getting people donuts and coffee and, like, all this shit. And then um, by the end, I mean, she is, you know, like, she's a part of the group. She's yeah. helping them get all the shit for Willow's spell or whatever. And uh, the other thing that we always talk about is that, you know, Willow doesn't know a lot about the world. Xander is hopeless. Cordelia is the only one who understands how high school works. Yeah, and how the world works. And how the world works. And that's why she believes that she is the boss bitch that she is. Because she's kind of like, listen, everyone, if you just listen to me, like, I would know how to make you stop being such fucking losers. But, like, no (laughs) one listens to me because they're all enamored with Buffy. But, like, right now, I understand... And that's the only only kind of power they can understand is, like, breaking rocks. They don't understand that, like... Cordelia is a useful resource for navigating the high school that we're constantly running into social problems in. Right. Social problems that have real-world consequences. So here's the funny thing, right? If Buffy is a show about where they take high school demons and turn them into metaphors, then, like, Cordelia is the slayer because she knows how to take... (laughs) She knows how to solve all high school demon problems because she understands social status and she has the most capital in terms of social capital and, like, currency in the high school. Yeah. And, like, they constantly underuse her and they don't get that. But even later on in the series, later, when Cordelia loses her, like, dad's resources... They never do the thing where it's like, now I'm a helpless baby. It's like, Cordelia has the skills. She had the resources, then she didn't have the resources. She still had the skills, she just went and had to go get more resources. Right. It's like, I I, I don't know, I I think the thing with Cordelia that often, I think, gets overlooked um, is that just because someone's acerbic or, like, mean to you doesn't mean that they are not, they don't have, like, emotions. And I think finally in this season we see, like, oh, the person that makes the snappy remark... Also, she was blind for an episode. Like, that's going to leave you actually emotionally freaked out. And we finally start to see that, like, under that, like, rocky exterior, there is, like, a gooey, soft underbelly. Well, it's so interesting, too, because there are so many shows that try to do, like, you know, giving the male bully a kind of fully foreign personality. And Cordelia may be, like, a landmark character of, like, a female bully who gets an enormous arc over Buffy and Angel... And gets to feel all these things, and actually we explore what it means to be in the psyche of, like, a woman who is obsessed with social status, and just, like, how useful and resourceful she is. Yeah. Like, there's a reason that Cordelia goes through Slayer Fest 98 and survives. Like, you know, like, yeah. you know, like there's a reason that she's fucking badass, and that she's probably, like, in terms of physical skill, she has none of the skills that anyone else in the group has, but she still is, like, badass compared to them. And I also like that one, I don't know if it's season, th- season three or season two, where she's talking about, like, how, how coolness works, and she's like, me and Oz are the only cool ones in this group. <laughs> like, Oz is cool because he's, like, a bassist and says no He also words. does not care. Yeah. Right, and he doesn't care, but Cordelia overcares, but it's yeah. overcaring to the... But she still knows how to mask it and make it seem effortless. That is true, they are the only cool ones. <laughs> but I will say this about Cordelia, and I never see anyone mention this, but it drives me nuts, is that Xander and Willow are tossed into this Buffy thing early on. They're kind of like... If they even wanted to get out, they're the Slayer's friends, so they're who's going to get kidnapped, this, that, and the other thing. Oz ends up being a werewolf. Angel's like a vampire that, you know, is tied to a magical destiny. Giles is being paid to be there. Cordelia has no fucking reason to be there, (laughs) except to actually want to help when she wants to help, and to actually, like, want to do something, and... She is a human being. She could opt out of this. No one would tie her to Buffy. She could go off to college and be done with it. And even when she does leave, she goes and she, like, does helps Angel and does the right thing. Buffy had this foisted upon her. But I think we need to point out sometimes when people, even, like, later on with Dawn, Dawn finds out she's not even pre-chosen. She's nothing. 
she still like engages with this stuff. I, I don't yeah. know. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So Cordelia, you're, Cordelia of the main characters right now that we see every day is like the only one who like consistently chooses to do good things without any having to do it. Like if Buffy were not chosen, she'd be like the most va- She would be worse than Cordelia. She'd, she'd be, be way vapid. worse than Cordelia. Cordelia. She'd be vapid for no ultimate point. Cordelia is vapid and it's like, hey, this group of losers that I like totally own and throw shade at all the time. <laughs> like I am way better than them. I know that, but like they do good stuff and I just want to like help them. And having gotten into adventures with them and saw that it did nothing but hurt her and make her dirty <laughs> and disgusting and covered in worms. She continues to do it. Like, That's true. I, I don't know. I just love her. The Ballad of Cordelia Chase. <laughs> I really want to re- rewrite rewrite Buffy the Denver Center from Cordelia's <laughs> viewpoint. Just like Cordelia the friend. So, Best chosen bitch. <laughs> so, we spend so much time talking about Cordelia. Yeah. We should talk about Kendra, I feel like. Yes. And poor, alas, poor Kendra... I just feel like they could have... So Joe Reed mentioned in the episode that we recorded for Becoming how, like, he thinks a lot of the things they wanted to do with Kendra, they did with Faith. Yeah. And well, I, the thing is, I don't think the show knew what to do with the second Slayer yet. Yes. Because everything that Kendra does is for plot. Like, yeah. Kendra, they need her in What's My Line because it actually forces Buffy to realize that being a Slayer is not a job and it's her destiny yeah. and, and like, after What's My Line she blah. stops talking about it like it's this burden and she starts like thinking about what does it mean to be a Slayer um, and like they need her to just like wear a, like you know purple pants and a red <laughs> shirt and walk around and like kick weird people's butts and and like put Angel almost in danger of dying but she's not a person and then in the end she kills one vampire and like gets everyone else hurt because she can't do her fucking job and gets killed by Drusilla. So, like, she never really is a full character. Yeah. So, I don't... She doesn't have a progression. And then I think with Faith, they take that to 100 and they're like, okay, what if we made a Slayer who was actually a foil for Buffy? And they did the opposite, right? Like, yeah. Buffy, by all accounts, is a good girl. She well, just, that's the thing, is that they make a perfectionist archetype and there's nothing to explore because Buffy is, as the main character, and having to constantly succeed... She is sort of a... Pro- she's right. an ethical perfectionist. <laughs> right. She's a, she's a perfectionist who just, like, gets things wrong sometimes and is, like, trying to find her way. But she's Harry Potter. Like, Harry Potter doesn't fuck up. She's She's, she's, she, she's not, I woke up like this. She's. It took 20 minutes to straighten my hair, but now I'm here. There's right. less fun to explore in that 20 minutes. As to, opposed to a girl who's like, I woke up like this, bitch, with blood on my face. Fuck you. Right. I'm getting drunk. I'm gonna fuck. I'm stealing this knife. Like, <laughs> and at the end of the day, like, Buffy is part of a system of, like, being a slayer that's working for, like, the Watchers Council, and she acquiesces mm. to that. She's like, okay, this is my job, whatever. Faith is like, fuck the Watchers Council, who the fuck are you? You fucking gave me superpowers and you think I'm gonna work for your <laughs> yeah. dumbasses? Who the fuck do you think you are? Faith was the first person who gives to do... gives us 16-year-old superpowers? <laughs> and Faith was the first person to do the thing, which later on Buffy goes like, there's not gonna be a test. Like, right. she was the first person to be like... No, I think you're worried about me less than I'm worried about you. That's yeah. true. That's true. And like, but I just feel, I almost wish we could have, I wish we could have gotten more, even if there was not like, like you said, she did mostly just, Kendra just served a plot purpose. Right. Like she came in, blah, blah. It was like, oh, Buffy, don't treat it like a job. Oh, Buffy, here's this enchanted sword that kind of doesn't make sense. There's also you. weird race stuff with Kendra where like they did the thing where like, oh, someone's a person of color, so they have to be 10 times better. And like, then they still killed her off. Like you made her a better at like, you made her on paper better at all this stuff and harder working and more focused and blah, blah, blah and you still killed her. So well, that's what we talked about in the last episode is that, because like, they do all this stuff about her being by the book and you think that when the vampires in Becoming Part 2 or Part, part one, 1 come yeah. to 
attack them that she could fucking Chun-Li all of them, you know, with yeah. her eyes closed. And then she, like, can barely kill one vamp and it's over. And it's like, what was all this shit about her being, like, this perfect blah blah blah? So studied, so, like... Right, and it was just, like... And it was... It was, like, a reversal of Chosen How, like, he had to, like, make everyone super strong. It was, like, he touted her as being super strong, and then mm-hmm. now, when it came to it, I guess she's just bumbling and can't handle anything yeah. now, which is, like, of course. Yeah. Um... Okay, we need to move on from Kendra. Okay, so, also, Joyce gets, like, kind of an arc, right? She does. I actually think that, like, uh, I mean, Ted and Bad Eggs, we've talked a lot about, like, is Joyce's little mini arc right before we get to the big arc of the season? Yeah. Um, Because Bad Eggs is the episode right before Before, Surprise and Innocence, and the end of Bad Eggs is them, like, kiss, like, making out through her window, because Joyce Joyce, uh, punishes her, what do you know, like, grounds her in her room. So... They really have moved Joyce out of, like, season one, she was that mom who was always like, I've read parenting books, I know how to parent. <laughs> and in season two, her whole thing, like, so she's dating, okay, she dates, like, robot John Ritter, cool. <laughs> and then, like, she, in Bad Eggs, it really, that whole episode is about, like, her relationship with Buffy and how she's, exo- she calls Buffy a burden, yeah. like, to Giles. Um, and, like, you know, she really is, like, so yeah, you, you get to see, like, Joyce is sexual, like, she wants to be in a relationship, she wants to have this life outside of Buffy. She's kind of getting tired of her daughter who always gets in trouble. Um, and then by the end, she's like, becomes every queer fan's like worst enemy <laughs> and kicks her like queer daughter out of the house. <laughs> and like, yeah. But this is the beauty of the 22 episode season of semi-serialized network television, yeah. which is that Joyce, Giles would not have been the character Giles is now or like got to be then without the beauty, beauty of, like, one-episode stories that you give them some time to grow, but they're also kind of in the background. In order for Joyce to be tied in in any way, they would have had her, like, have to make out with Xander or something (laughs) horrifying on an HBO show. That wouldn't have been her character or, like, what you wanted to explore about suburban moms. It would have been what you wanted to explore about Oedipus complexes or whatever. (laughs) And I really, I love Joyce. I love, I think Joyce is one of the little bits of Buffy that, like, it's so rewarding that... Buffy's one of those shows where, like, the like for example, The World Without Shrimp. It's like, in comedy, when you do a joke, the best part of a joke is the callback half an hour later when the audience gets that little shot of endorphins and adrenaline. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, beautiful, like, oh my god, I remember, we remember, reference, we're in a group together. It's like a bonding thing. Joyce, as a character, she does get to be fleshed out a little bit later. But mostly what she's great for is that throughout every episode, she shows up for a little bit, and she builds on these little jokes and these little things. And even when Dawn shows up, then they play with things that they built up from two seasons ago, Dawn references and how they're different. And it's just fun. Joyce is like a novel fun character. Um, And in the way that Giles is early on, also he's like a father figure and less of a, like, one of the mean. Yeah. So one of the things that I, you know, when I... Buffy 2017, I would actually incorporate a little bit of Jane the Virgin into Buffy, because I think that there was, there's a lot of room to explore, um, pregnancy. (laughs) Well, like, matrilineal relationships, and there could have been more with Buffy and Joyce, and then, you know, later on when Dawn was there, if they had kept Joyce around a little bit longer with Dawn, and, like, had them interact as a threesome more, Mm -hmm. um, I would have enjoyed that more, but, so I think... Joyce, though, definitely, the, 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 the task of season two is to move a lot of 1D characters, if it's not into full 3D, at least into 2Dness, yeah. and Joyce, by becoming part two, she's 3D, because yes. we see her reacting to, like, Buffy, 
um, and yeah. acting is reacting, and like blah blah. blah. And like, so she, we see her her character coming about into full three ness by the end. But they really push her out of like the season one one D like parenting mom yes. who's want some cereal. <laughs> right, it's basically that. Um, let's talk about Giles, who goes through a lot in season two. He yeah. does. Like, he gets to date. He gets to date. I mean, he falls in love. He has one of the biggest, like, love arcs in the season. I mean, he with falls... With a techno-pagan. <laughs> he falls in love with a techno-pagan, and she, like, gets her head fucking snapped in the school where he has to go to work every, every day. day. And they never talk about it! <laughs> like, and that, like, if you, like... <laughs> oh yeah, I like fell in love with this girl, and she like um, had her neck snapped like by the water cooler. She was murdered right over there. She's Will is doing her curriculum now. No right. I walked down the stairs where my girlfriend was murdered every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when Oz got shot. Like we would bring this up more. <laughs> right. Oz gets shot. There's no investigation. There's no nothing. On school grounds, everyone goes to school the next day. And it's not like next year, it's like, well, this was the anniversary of when Miss Calendar was killed, so we're having a moment of silence. It's just like, who? Oh, yeah, 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 I remember her. Well, to be fair, people are murdered, like, every day true. at the school. True, true, If true. they had a moment of silence every right. day, it'd be, like, nothing but moments no, of I guess she was important to us, but yes, you would probably have to have moments <laughs> of silence for every... Like fish swimmer or whatever. <laughs> like, is that the woman who taught like intro to, like, tr- intro to typing? <laughs> like, yeah. oh, okay, I guess the typing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Which one? Like. <laughs> oh, it wasn't the nurse that was fed to the fish people. Oh, okay. Right. But yeah. So Giles gets to fall in love and have loss. Yeah. And he, him, his and Buffy's relationship as like a as a father figure. Yes. He picks up. father grows enormously, like through passion and surprise and innocence, and him having. That moment where he has to say to Buffy, like, do you want me to wag my finger at you? I'm not going to. Ugh, like, such I a love good dad. you. And then, like, he has to teach lie her Lie to so- me. And lie to me. Yeah. So, those things. So, he has to, in the first season, we know him as someone who has to teach her about slaying. And then the second one, he becomes someone who has to teach her about, like, the larger world. And be there for her in a, a way emotionally that we see is different than how other... And he's able to do it in a way that her mom isn't because he's aware of, like, he's more fully aware of her life. Right. And it's a very pure father story, which is like, I didn't know I would have to do this part, and I didn't know I'd have to do this part. Now I care about this thing, which is a thing I think, I, I mean, I don't know firsthand, but that people I know who have kids go through where it's like, yeah, I knew I'd have to, like, feed it, and I knew it would be emotional, but you don't really know what that means until you're like have to explain death to your kid or like like stuff where you're like oh I forgot I would have to do that and I think for him he really didn't know Buffy was going to be his child yes. like surrogate child I mean and we know about Ripper now yeah, yeah because he's true. and it's like one Halloween of the, the gifts of Halloween one of the things that we talk about in uh that that Joss Whedon has talked about is that like he purposefully doesn't do that thing that a lot of other stupid shows do where it's like we're going to tell you a character's whole background when you meet them yeah. because you want to be informed yeah, and yeah. he like keeps the back door open for so many characters and I think we don't we didn't realize that was coming with Giles like we didn't realize that he was going to be this like sexual demon slayer guy on a motorcycle like cool that we didn't yeah. know he would be right, cool. cool like you have orgies you had orgies and you probably slept with Ethan Rain <laughs> well that's the fun part of Joss Whedon that 
um, I think bothers people now because nowadays our archetypes are different than what they were. But he introduces characters as an archetype. She is the main character. She is a nerd. She is a popular girl. He's a librarian from England, so he's very stuffy. And then later, the they most of the time, it's the exact opposite of those things that gets incorporated. So, like, it's what Buffy is, essentially, which is, like, she's a vampire-hunting, demon-killing cutie who goes to the limit, too. And then, <laughs> but, like, with Willow, it's, like, she's the most powerful person in the world, also, like, a nerd who loves, like, computers, which is a thing. <laughs> And, like, uh, with Giles, it's, like, he's a stuffy librarian, he's English, he likes tea, he's always, like, more, more, more. But then you find out, no, he's also, like, a rock and roll guy who's, like, got his guitar and demons. And, and like, like, a really good dad. Yeah. Like. Right. <laughs> and now we have different archetypes. Now our archetypes are based on extremely complicated things. And and the closest we have to that archetypal playing is, like, with Marvel movies, which is where Joss moved. Yeah. But it's the fun part of that, which is that you can, people think they know everything about these characters, but that's the trick. You thought you knew everything about Giles, but we never told you anything about him. Well, it, it, you know, I'm interest, what's interesting is that um, I find that Joss Whedon keeps the back door open for people's personal histories where other shows, like a Shonda Rhimes, will keep back doors open for, like, maybe characters you didn't know about, yeah. but they're very small parts of the person's personality. Like, really, Olivia Pope's personality does not change over Scandal. Mm-hmm. She comes as Olivia Pope fully formed, but then you, like, find out that she had a fucked up childhood, but, like, you can tell. Like, you know, yeah. it's like, it doesn't matter that her mother is, like, a super evil villain and that her father is also a super evil villain or whatever. Like... I'm learning so much about Scandal right now. <laughs> like, Olivia Pope is still Olivia Pope from seasons one through six. It doesn't matter that Olivia Pope is sold into slavery at one point. <laughs> what? <laughs> Do you know if you watch Scandal? I didn't know. I, I watched the first few seasons. Okay. That's a se- storyline? What literally season is that? In? It's season four. Yeah, it's that's when where I, I stopped. It's when I stopped watching. It's like the episode <laughs> I stopped watching. But then actually, I didn't watch the back end of season four and then just watched from season five. And season five and six are amazing. So, um, but season three and four are like really shaky. So there's a point in season four where Olivia, like, literally gets, like, sold into slavery and Fitz has to, like, buy her back at auction. Wow. It's, like, ridiculous. <laughs> is that the show? Is that the... Which Shonda Rhimes show had Jean Grey, Famke Johnson be, like, a former college hookup? Oh, I don't know. Wasn't that one of them? Maybe it wasn't her. I don't know. If, if you know, tweet us. <laughs> I will say, um, that's the difference between what makes me come back to Buffy and also what I really like about the show, like, um, uh, uh, Orphan Black is that um, people are who they say they are, but they're also so much more. And when you find that out later, it's so... The first season of Orphan Black is art. It gets back and forth after that. But the (laughs) first season is so good because they are who they said they are, but they're not just that. Whereas on a show of Game Game of Thrones, they are who they say they are. Fine. On a show like... You know, a lot of soapier shows, you are who you say are, except twist, I'm not, I'm an agent. No, I'm a double agent. Now I'm Agent Sydney <laughs> Bristow's sister. Like, it's like my face pops off and I'm someone else. Like, that isn't really the tr- tricking me. That's that's like a, a, a deus ex machina yeah, thing. Yeah. It's not a real yeah. plan. Yeah. Um, okay, so if you had to pick five, your five favorite episodes from the season, what would they be? Um, I need to look at a list of episodes, but, um, oh, okay. Uh, I think I already have them, but let me look at this <laughs> Go ahead. I like Halloween as one of my favorite episodes of all time, period. Okay. Um, I like Becoming, part one and two. I don't yeah. know if those count. I would count them as one, yeah. Okay, um, What's My Line is great. Um, uh, what else did I really like? What's Surprise and Innocence are excellent. I mean, it's really <laughs> hard to pick five. 
I really enjoyed, of the standalone episodes, I, let me say it this way. I really enjoyed Halloween was amazing. Um, Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered is pretty good. As much as there's like that little yeah. um, stigma uh, stigma there. Uh, the Go Fish was a very um, uh, sexual episode for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's what everyone has said, yeah. <laughs> What's My Line and Becoming, though, are so good. So I guess that's like six-ish. Let's, okay, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, so I'll say Becoming Part 2. I'll say passion. I'll say innocence. I will say, um, what happens in Lie to Me? <laughs> Lie to Me is Billy Ford. He's oh, right. Okay. Not Lie to Me. Oh. When she, I do love Lie to Me. I love a lot of season two. I love When She Was Bad. I love, and then I, I like School Hard, which they're all like the main plot episodes. School Hard is a fantastic, it wouldn't be in my top, like I would like to rewatch this. It's my favorite episode of television, but School Hard is great. And, like, the introduction of Spike and Drew is so good. That's why, that's why I would watch it. And then, like, just, like, with um, Spike killing, like, the um, the annoying one. The annoying <laughs> one. Um, and stuff like that. Like, I just think that it was... It's such a statement. Because, really, like, these two episodes are not the beginning of season two. So, like, um, when she was bad and some of somebody required, they're, like, the coda from season one. Yeah. And School Hard is, like... Season one was about codexes and uh, prophecies, and this episode, like, we're going in a new direction. Fuck that. Like, fuck <laughs> that. Like, Spike is going to turn the shit upside down, yeah. like, turn the beat around, Gloria Estefan style, <laughs> doesn't give a fuck, and, like, that's who we are this season, yeah. and we're going to explore new things, and I like it as a statement piece. See, and that's why I have... Growing up, I hated What's My Line. It was such a stupid episode. I was like, right. I still don't like What's My Line that much. I don't, I don't really, I get, it it feels like a lot of work to get to the ultimate point of like, oh, it's not a job. And then also, I guess there is a lot of, there is a lot of really good relationship stuff. There's a lot of relationship stuff in What's My Line with the ice skating and like, her See, not noticing that his demon face is on. All those parts I I don't care for. I don't enjoy watching. But the some of them is that all these seeds of character development that later that's what the show is. The show is like based on a lot of little things we see there. So when I rewatched those for this show, I was like, wow, they really did a lot of work. So as a writer, I can appreciate the momentous that's task fair. that was handed to them to like do a, a whole bunch of character development, come up with a villain, and plant all these seeds for stuff we wanted to do later. Whether or not that was intentional, it like ended up being. I don't know. I think it's cool. I, I just, like, it... The okay, so thing, my five favorite yeah, episodes five. would be Innocence, Passion, I would put Becoming as one whole thing, um, When She Was Bad, and I don't know. I think maybe... I think School Hard. Okay, yeah. so you copied mine. But Halloween is so good! I do, I do like Halloween... I do like it. Like, I don't not like it. I don't know. <laughs> I will say, I Only Have Eyes For You was effective in that every time I hear that song, I, was I just gonna, freak out. I was just going to say that, like, right outside my top five is I Only Have Eyes For You, because it's so... And I tell the scene it's all the time. Your seat. I may not even be able to, like, give it, like, the highest grade, but, like, it's emotionally, like, devastating. And, yes, when I hear the song, yeah. I'm just, like, bawling and, like, right there. And... It's an emotional thriller. I remember... The first time I saw it being at the edge of my seat, and now when I rewatch it, I'm in the same like, ah, like <laughs> verklempt. Ugh. And so my least favorite episodes would be Inca Mummy Girl and Killed by Death. 
my least favorite episodes. I don't like. I actually don't like the Dark Age. I don't like the the the, the Giles episode, sure. and I don't like Ted. So I don't like Inko Mummy Girl. I don't like Ted, and you're gonna hate me. I really don't care for bad eggs. <laughs> wow. Really? I the see, eggs you, upset me. I just feel like I smell sulfur in my. Well, you know what's funny is that we we said on our in our, in our um, eggs bad eggs episode that like the bizarre plot line is like it's touted as the a plot. Because it's called Bad Eggs and it's about these eggs, but it's really so irrelevant. Yeah. All the work in that episode is about like Buffy and her mom, and there's also and it is a good episode in that capacity. Right. I mean, it's, it's just the yeah. bizarre thing that like I, I don't I don't like watching it. It makes me upset. Things that happen to you at night, things that come out of eggs, things. Uh, oh, like and it looks like the alien. Crawlies. It looks like the Xena, the, the like the pre-Xenomorph alien thing. The face that, hugger. Host the face yeah. hugger. Ho- people like taking over your body, like hosting. Oh, you know what? You know what it all comes down to for me? My ultimate phobia is parasites and that's I think what this really comes <laughs> right. to and I just came to that through talking you're so scared of all my exes <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also um, I hate some assembly required yeah. I think it's such a lazy like Frankenstein yeah. like thing yeah. that I'm just like it's so dumb yeah it is I, I, but that's for me so middle of the road like if that was on TV yeah. I'd watch it but I'm also not I don't even think of it it's I like agree. All, and it's sort of Goldfish is a little bit like that, except Goldfish would be a terrible episode, except it was such a sexual awakening that, like, all right. Well, and then, well, then in Goldfish, we were talking about, like, there's actually a lot of, like, I mean, like, Buffy deals with, like, almost getting, like, fondled in a car, and, like, yeah. she has to, like, defend herself, so it's, like, a lot of... That's one of the better... And it is, it is like, kind of like a... school metaphor episode. Yeah. like, dealing with, like, these dumb jocks who believe they own the world. It is kind of like a gay metaphor thing, which is, like, I am... I have all these weird powers in me, but they make me a monster kind of a thing. And I will say the skin coming off stuff, very... It creeped me out. Not, like, the Parasites thing where I couldn't watch it. It creeped me out in a fascinating, like, zombie sort of way. <laughs> that was great. The effects are good. Yes. Um, so, what would we grade the season overall? Oh, my gosh. That's hard. That's a hard. plus, a plus television. I think it's a. I think it's an A minus season. I, I think I would give it a B plus. Really? Yeah. Only because, like, okay. So I feel like my grading scale with Buffy is so like off because I love it so much. So for me, I don't think the standalone episodes work as well as they do in other seasons. Okay. That would be the, like they're literally that's the only thing taking off points for me is that like a lot and a lot of the like the failings of the season are, like, of its time. Yeah. Um, and for me, once we get to season three, there's not as much of that. Where, like, it's like, ugh, this is, like, I have to overlook this bad part because it was 1990, whatever. Like, yeah. Um, but I still think, yes, it's still really good television. And I think the Angel storyline is, like, what people think of when they think of Buffy. I think, for me... The way I grade things and the way I like things is that the big earned moments, the like we earned this, like becoming is so earned for guys that season, it to me that's such a high that even the lows, they just kind of get washed out for me. (laughs) I'm not someone who's like, I feel like, oh, you earned points at everything. It's like the iconic level means a lot to me. The, um... Halloween being such a good standalone episode for me knocks out the fact that I don't like Ted. Like, it just kind right. of, like, it kind of... And, and every season's gonna have, like, low points that... But the thing with Becoming is, like, I think about Becoming probably once a week, like, when something right. bad is happening in my life. Like, I actually, like, have based a lot of my life on what would Buffy do oh my because God. of that. Yes, that's... I was just telling... Like, when we were talking about uh, In Becoming, like, my life is currently in flames and falling apart, and, like, I've watched 
that end scene of becoming part one where she's running through the hallway and that Whistler speech, which I think is so good. Um, and I don't, like, we all kind of agreed that Whistler's kind of like a weird character yeah. and like, but that works for me. I mean, it could be anyone narrating that scene, but like that whole thing is so like, She's literally, like, she's not sure if her friends are all dead. Like, she's... Yeah. Well, I think that if you met someone in a bar and had to talk to them about Buffy, like, is there an iconic moment in season three that you would talk to them about? No. Like, you wouldn't be like, remember when they killed the mayor with flamethrowers? Like, that's not iconic. Ah! The no, way- I would be like, do you remember when Buffy and Faith fought? Do you remember when Buffy says it now? And well, that's true. Robes? Well, <laughs> I, well, maybe when Buffy and Faith fight is iconic. But I think that, like, Buffy putting a sword through Angel is, like, the iconic moment of Buffy. When I tell people to watch the show, I tell them, season one is perfectly good fun, but please don't judge the rest of the show based on the, like, level of quality. Even though it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. Right. But season two, I always tell people, when you get to the end of season two, you will understand why this is an emotional core of so many people's lives and why this meant this changed everything for me like this oh yeah i i feel about this season and this sounds like a dramatic overstatement but it is true how a lot of people feel about their jesus story like they're they're (laughs) like this is i i you know i didn't grow up i didn't grow up with a jesus story so for me it was like someone came back from the dead and fucking like it is that for me it was foundational and i based a lot of my life and personality and like the my philosophy for things off of that so for me to give this anything but an a plus just feels just genuine <laughs> well you know i i it's like when people bash the first harry potter book oh shut up it changed everyone's fucking life <laughs> right. come on <laughs> i i think i get it i gave it an a minus i think it would, it would be like on the ed- edge of b plus a minus but there are so many highs to it that i can't fully say it's a b plus but i think when i grade something my grading ethos is that like i think about in my head like, what did the author, or what did the creators, or what did they set out to do? And I tell myself, you know, if I were a professor, that's how I grade papers. Like, what is the argument you were trying to make? Yeah, what yeah. were the points you were trying to explore? And a lot of the other stuff then falls to the wayside, because I actually think that overall, this was a season about, like, what happens when, like, the person that with whom you are in love and who you trust, like, becomes the person that you have to, like, be in, like, this ultimate struggle with. And the person and, you, like, hate the most. Right, yeah. and then how do you, like, balance having to, like grow up and save the world with like you know being so i i I think that when i actually think about did they succeed at telling that story they did so so i can't knock it because like it has some weird one-offs because i think they they succeeded at telling the story they wanted to tell and they might have gotten some minor details weird but like weird yeah okay you might it's all there you might have pushed me over to convince me to an a minus also telling my life story right now as a 34 year old just not in high school but But i will say one more thing and 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 this i uh i think this is an important thing when you talk about anything especially from this time period which is I like to think of this or all art, which is like, if you were the creator and you had these resources and you were in this cultural setting and you had these actors, could you make something amazing? Could you make something out of this? And could you, where your characters were is one of those resources. So season three gets to build on all the things season three already, two already built. But if you're starting out with a season one of Buffy under your belt, no money, and you're in the 90s, and like, I just think like, could I have done this? Could anyone have done this? And I really think like this is, one of the like for me this is one of the greatest pieces of art given the resources you had and your goal like holy shit you took all that stuff and made something like so nuanced and amazing i don't know it's like when you hear someone and they make like a transcendent podcast and they like like this one (laughs) or when someone makes like a beautiful painting and you're like but they only had ketchup to paint with you're like holy shit it means so much more that you did it with just this stuff at your hands right i don't know no i I agree yeah Yeah. all right well Um, 
I think it's time for us to say goodbye. Okay. So I'm Matthew Rodriguez. You can find me on Twitter at Matthew Rodriguez. Matthew with one T and Rodriguez with a G and a Z. And I'm Ian, at Ian X Carlos on Twitter. And Ryan. I'm at Ryan Holyhan on Twitter and Instagram. Um, follow me on Twitter for nonsense at uh, 2 in the morning. Uh, and follow me on Instagram to see a picture of a lady every day. <laughs> oh, yeah. He does really awesome drawings that I love. Thanks. And um, you can follow SlayerFest98 at SlayerFestX98 on Twitter. Um, and, you know, we'll see you back next week for talking about... We'll, season three. We'll have a little brief intermission probably and then we'll Maybe get not. To season. Maybe not, who knows? Who could know? <laughs> Alright, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.